This is Chris Shelton, your host. Thank you very much for inviting me into your home again this week. I am joined by Tony Ortega, journalist and Scientology uh, reporter on Scientology, I should say, for a very, very long time. In fact, Tony, I, welcome to the show. How how long has it been? Wow, Chris, uh, I guess I wrote my first story about Scientology in 1995 for the God Phoenix New Times. Damn, 1995. That's the year I fucking joined the Sea Org. And that was the oh. first time. You, wow. Like, wow. A long time. Yeah. Okay. A lot of water has gone under the bridge. I am sure, by the way, and I and I will, I'll, I'll, I'll throw this much out there and then we'll get on with, uh, with this. But I will say, I am sure over this time, and I've been involved in this for 10 years now, you have probably seen every iteration of nonsense uh, come and go in this community <laughs> over all these years. <laughs> well, let me just say, I mean, my first introduction to a Scientologist personal story of getting in, getting out, was Tori Chrisman. And I told her story in right. 2001. Right, and that was the I had written stories before that ninety five, ninety seven, that kind of thing. But the first story where I really got to know a Scientologist and tell their whole story was Tori. And one of the things I learned from that is how long it can take somebody to come out of Scientology and get through that thinking and try to readjust to the outside world. And you know, she had told me that you know uh, it takes a long time, and I I think you know we had talked about how. It takes people 10 or 12 years before they're finally sort of seeing things a little more clearly and maybe can come forward. And even then there, there's you know risks about going public and that kind of thing. So this was, I think, one of the most surprising things for me in this whole journey was this guy, Chris Shelton, who came out of the Sea Org and was on YouTube within weeks. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how you did it because for so many people – it was. It takes such a level of transition, and I just always thought that was amazing that you were able to kind of see things clearly so quickly, and uh, you've been tearing it up ever since. So I just, I just, I really uh, admire that about you that um, you were able to figure things out so fast. How did you do that? <laughs> I think actually it was more of a fa of a, 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 a just. I mean, a little joking here, but I think. It was more of my mouth leading the way because I really didn't know what the hell I was doing for the first couple of years. And I and it's funny how me, Leah, Mike are kind of the exceptions because it's true what you just said for most people. That's absolutely true. It takes years before people even want to start talking about this stuff. I'm a loud mouth and I always have been. And I just, you know, I was the guy that the teacher would come up behind and tape his mouth shut in the class because I couldn't keep my damn mouth shut all the time. So I think, I think that's the actual answer to your question. I'd love to take glory for that, but I think it was just my mouth going. But fortunately, I had some intelligent things to say anyway. So it, so it took off. So, so thank you. Yeah, no, and I, you know, you, you've got out a book that helps explain things to people yeah. that haven't been in. I mean, you know, it's, it, it, but I understand why it's hard for some people. I mean, yeah. I, I talk to people who have been out for 20 years 
and who have really valuable things to tell me, but they still can't are super careful. They don't want anything out about the fact that they're talking to me or what's going on. That's right. And, you know, some people, I mean, I just heard this week, this week from somebody who sent me information about their experiences in Narconon uh, four years ago and had sent me a lot of great information, but were saying, look, I don't, I don't think I can put my name on this yet. And I said, that's all right. That's fine. I'm glad to know this information. We'll hold on. And then this week came to me and said, you know what? I've had it. I've got, I want you to do that. So we're starting to go through. I mean, the first thing I have to do is go back and relearn all those things they told me four years ago. And uh, it's a little bit of a process, but I mean, this is the kind of, you know, this is the kind of thing we talk to people all the time that are still keeping quiet, don't want people to know. And that's fine. I mean, because some of the best stories I've been able to do at the underground bunker are stories that people have given me that nobody knows where I got that information. And that's good, you know, because that keeps Scientology guessing. And that's the most important thing. Exactly. That's exactly right. And people don't, I don't know that a lot of people understand the the necessity for not engaging in full disclosure or transparency all the time around this topic. And I have, uh, of course, had similar experiences where I'm not collecting stories necessarily from people, but I do get people who uh, I consult with. And, you know, years, years after they get out, they're still struggling with stuff. So totally, totally, totally. Well, we had, speaking of, <laughs> you managed to uh, to pull off something rather amazing this week, and you published a story of uh, your conversations, information you had gotten, uh, oh, you know, from Lisa Marie Presley, who tragically and very unfortunately died uh, just a couple weeks ago. And I wanted to talk to you about that because you were the one who talked to her, and now she's not yeah. there anymore. And there's so much and so many questions about this. What? How do you want to start in terms of even you know talking about this? Your relationship with her, maybe. Well, yeah. I mean, um, it started with Ron Miscavige, hmm. and you know um, that you know year 2012 was an incredible year in Scientology news. It seems like they all are, but that year in particular, if you remember, um, in one week. Tom Cruise and Katie split up. That whole mission in Israel left Scientology altogether. That's right. The Haifa. Th- that's right. And Karen lost her son. Right. Karen Dela Carrier lost her son. That's all right. in the same week. I could. I was going crazy trying to deal with these stories all at one time. And that's also when I learned that Ron Miscavige had left the base. It had actually taken place a few months before, but that's about the time it got to me that David Miscavige's own father has fled the base. And um, also, I think I reported at that time, right around then, Diana Hubbard's daughter, Roanne Horwich, had also left the base. So I reported both those things in that summer of 2012. That was just an incredible summer. All these mm-hmm. things were going on at the same time. And it wasn't too long after that that somebody put me together with Ron and we began speaking. And, uh, you know, just like we've just now been talking about, he was going through this process. He was kind of confused and bewildered. And, 
But it was great to make that connection and just start talking to him. I knew that he was not anywhere near wanting to have a, or a story written or anything like that. But it was nice just to talk to him. And I don't know how many people noticed this, but the first little step he took, and I'm sure you've talked to many people that go through this. They take little bitty steps. The first step was he had written this little book of memories from Pennsylvania, and he was self-publishing it, and he wanted me to say something about it. I was like, Ron, this might be a little dangerous. Like, no, no, Tony, I want you to. And so I think he came out with a couple of these little books of, of memories. And so I wrote about that. Of course, I did not say, oh, by the way, Ron wants me to tell you all about this book. But that was the first little bit of that process was he was kind of putting his toe out to see what it was like to get a little publicity and that kind of thing. And of course, for Ron Miscavige, you know, the the this was the son of the leader, and he knew he was under surveillance. I don't think he quite understood the level of it. And we the reason the way the way we found out about that was this uh, this was a few years later, 2015. I'd been talking to him for a while. Uh, I didn't think he was going to say anything publicly for a while yet, really publicly. And then this story showed up in the L.A. Times. It was just incredible that these private investigators were uh, pulled in by the police. There, this little town of Wisconsin that where he lived. I don't know if it's too little, decent sized place, West Allis, Wisconsin. And the West Allis police uh, got called that there were these two guys acting suspiciously. They went and they picked them up. And there were these two private investigators, and they had this small arsenal in their car. You can yeah. see pictures of it. And one one of which was they had this PVC pipe. Uh, I say silencer, and I get corrected by the gun people. It's uh, fire suppression, whatever it is. It's You're not supposed to have that. You're not supposed right. to home make <laughs> a PVC pipe silencer for a rifle because it makes you look like an assassin, right? That That's you can right. kill somebody from distance being very quiet. So the father, it was a father-son private investigator team, and they were looking at – the father was looking at 10 years in federal prison for that little piece of plastic. So that's why they sang like canaries. And, that's right. Now, wasn't uh, that also the let him die? Right. So, so they what they said what they said to the police was that, yes, we're being paid 10000 a week by David Miscavige to follow his son. Yeah. And David is the leader of the church side. And these, these cops are like, huh, what? <laughs> <laughs> they just want to make sure they just wanted to make sure that they weren't that these guys weren't being paid to kill Ron Muscat. Right. 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 So they they had like, no, no, no. We're just watching him for his father. And they told this story that at one point, Ron at that point would have been about 70. See, he died at 85. I think it was 70, 74, 75, something like that. He was um, at a Walmart or something, and he was coming out, and they were across from the parking lot watching him through scopes, I'm sure. What they saw was he, he went like this. Now, see, what he was doing was his cell phone was ringing, and he was just fumbling with his shirt pocket, but from across the parking lot, it looked like an old man having a heart attack. So they called their handler, who I believe was in Florida, and said, what are we supposed to do? This guy's dying in front of us. And they put their – what they told the police was they put them through to David Miscavige directly and said, sir, this guy looks like he's having a heart attack. Do you want us to run over? And they told the police David Miscavige's words were, if he dies, he dies. Yeah. So 
this is all in a police report. That police report ends up in the LA Times, April 8, 2015. Huge story. I call Ron. I said, Ron, incredible. You know, great job. And he blows me away, Chris. He said, I didn't do that. You didn't give the LA Times the police report? No. Well, who did? Lisa Marie Presley. There it is. I said, what? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. What? (laughs) Lisa Marie Presley gave the LA Times the story of the year? How the hell did that happen? That's the story I want to know. That's the story I want to tell. So he put me in touch with Lisa Marie. And a week later, a week after that incident, she called me up. And we started talking. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing. She was a daily reader of my website, and she had been for years. I mean, you know, Chris, the Underground Bunker has certain features and certain kinds of stories. You know when you're talking to somebody who knows that. That's right. right. That's right. And so I'm talking. Because I'll tell you, that's that whole summer 2012 thing. You had me hooked because that's when I was getting out. So – you know, uh, it's no surprise to me at all that she was avidly reading if if her if she was on the fence. That's exactly how how I facilitated getting out. Well, was, you was know, your I, work, look, you what know. I tried to do is I just tried to sort of become a beat reporter on a certain subject. And yeah. I'm not telling people what to think. I'm just trying to bring them the news and interview people, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, so she was telling me that she'd been going through this process of trying to find out what's true, what's not true. Yep. And so she'd been reading my website. So the thing that was so great for me was we were talking like old friends. We felt like we'd known each other. And you can see it in the language in the interview. Mm-hmm. I mean, she let her hair down. Mm-hmm. And I mean, one of the first things she said was, you know, Dave and I were really close friends. Now he's fucking Hitler. And I'm just like, whoa, you know. Yeah. So um it was, it was an amazing phone call because, of course, I wanted to know how she got in it. I want, She brought up Michael. I want you to know that, Chris. I did not bring up Michael Jackson. Oh. She, she brought him up. And okay. she said, I loved him. Mm-hmm. And I think she could tell. I was kind of like, what? Right? Because, I mean, look, I, what do I know? That was 94 to 96 she was married to him, right? Yep. yep. And – I don't know what you thought back then, but I just sort of felt like it was some kind of a, you know, entertainment industry put on. I I can't, you know, and she wanted me to know that was real. She loved him. She did not want to divorce him and that it was Scientology that forced them apart, just like it was Scientology that forced apart Tom and Mimi, Tom and Nicole, you know, and I'm sure many other marriages that aren't so famous, you know. And so, you know, I, I just felt really grateful that she was letting me in on things like that. And so we talked about Michael Jackson. We talked about the others. You know, she was real close with John Travolta. Um, and she told me he, right now he's staying at my house. He's renting my house in Hawaii. I mean, the really wonderful details. Right. And this was so, all back in 2015 that this was happening. This was in April 15th, 2015. One, exactly one week after that story had showed up in the LA Times, she and I were talking for hours. Got it. And... uh And then to me, the most important thing was I had noticed in 2012 that she had put out a single that had some lyrics that suggested to me she was getting out of Scientology, a little ambiguous, 
But then it was an advanced single for an album called Storm and Grace. And when I looked, I got the lyrics for the other songs. There were some songs, the lyrics were really unambiguous. She's leaving or she's out. And so I wrote a story at that time. So that was one of the things I wanted to ask her was, you know, it looked to me like three years ago, you were on your way out. She said, yeah, no, you were right about those lyrics. So that was great to get that confirmation from her. And then... I wanted to know, okay, so, you know, you're, you're, you're indicating in these songs that you're on your way out. Now you're dropping bombs on the scavenger through the LA times. Can you get me from, you know, to those two points? Yeah. And that's when she started telling me about this thing that happened with Ron. And again, we got to go back to Ron the scavenge for a minute. Ron had left. He was, he visited a family member, his son, and then he was on his own up in Wisconsin and um, as you know, even though he'd escaped from the base and ultimately we found out some really dramatic things. I love the detail. Like he and Becky had mailed themselves Christmas gifts. Uh, they, they mailed people Christmas gifts that were actually their belongings. They were secretly mailing out their belongings <laughs> so they could get out of there. You know, wonderful stuff. And, and including Hubbard books. That's what killed me was that he was, he was mailing out his L Ron Hubbard books as he was escaping from the base. Anyway, uh, so, but at this point, I mean, like, even after the arrest of these private eyes in 2013, he still wasn't thinking about writing a book. It wasn't until 2014 in like September, October, he finally decided to go down to Florida and see his two daughters. Right. That's right. Denise, who is David's twin, and Lori, who's a little younger. And he went down there and... He was told you're not going to get to see them. And it was, he knew it was on his son's orders. So uh, I actually talked to the people that he was staying with at that time. And they told me, and then Ron told me himself later that when he came back from the, when he came back from that attempt to see his daughter, the first person Ron called was Lisa Marie. That's, that's how tight they were. Oh, wow. Yes, the first person he told that his daughter wouldn't see him was Lisa Marie, and he was upset, and she was upset. And, you know, to Lisa Marie Presley, there's nothing more important than family. Not just her own family. It really – she took it very personally that Ron was being kept away from his daughters by Dave. Yeah, yeah. And both of them told me that, that it was that incident that convinced Ron to write his book, Ruthless, mm. was, yeah, he was not considering writing a book to that time. But then once he realized Dave was keeping away from his, from his daughters, he, he decided to write a book. Lisa's reaction was she wanted to go there and see for herself. So she went to the Flagland base and tried to have a showdown with David Miscavige. And Chris, this was the bulk of the call. I mean, she was she was giving me moment by moment descriptions, which you saw in the story I wrote mm-hmm. about going over there. She made like three different trips. She was staying at the Fort Harrison, going over the air bridge to the flag building, which had just opened the year before, and trying to see Miscavige. And she was telling me that, you know, he was too chicken to see her. But whenever she'd go over there, she'd see all these cameras. And she knew he was watching Right. And so she would go up to the camera (laughs) and just talk into it, knowing 
that Miscavige was on the other end watching her. I thought that was so cool. I thought I thought so too, and I also thought that she was being so bold. I mean, I got to tell you, I mean, you know, seventeen years in the Sea Org, man, and eight years in Scientology. And I got bitch slapped by Miscavige in his inner circle, like personally, right? So I'm not saying Miscavige hit me. I'm saying that his staff came to me personally while I was still in Santa Barbara and put me in my place, right? Like Miscavige was somebody I feared for decades before I even got in the Sea Org. This was a man you do not mess with. And when I read your story, I just about (laughs) fell out of my chair because she's like looking right at the camera going, you know, basically, fuck you, dude. Like, you're, you know, like straight up in his face. And I was like, man, that is somebody who is unafraid of this guy. And that is I love on on her second trip, on her second trip, when she knew they were going to bring in Denise and Lori, she said she looked at the camera and she said, this is for you, action buddy, or something. The way I've got it is correct in the story. But uh, I mean, she she knew it was all for him. And then they brought in um, Denise and Lori and she actually... (laughs) I'll share with you, Chris, that she gave a description of Denise for me that was not the friendliest. I left it out of the story for Denise's sake. She won't, she won't appreciate it. But uh, anyway, um, but they just came in and they just were screaming at her, you know, and she described again, she's describing this moment by moment for me and how Denise and Lori were screaming at the tops of their voices about their father and their brother and she was saying she just sat there and smiled. She was like, was not going to take the bait. You know, she knew this was this. You know, she wanted to have it out with Dave and talk to Dave about why are you keeping your father from his own kid? And, you know, she just wasn't going to you know accept this as the substitute. Right. You know? That's right. And isn't this interesting that this is how he chooses to deal with Lisa Marie after this is all after Leah's gone public. So, so Lisa Marie is saying after Leah, he shut down. He doesn't see anybody now. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, who else is this guy? Like, like he's just cutting bait. Like he's just happy to have people just take off because she's saying it to the camera. I'm walking out of here and I'm never coming back. Yeah. If I was in Scientology for my various roles in Scientology and a major celebrity was threatening to just walk out the door because I wouldn't talk to her, I would have, I would have, you know, been on hands and knees like, no, stop, wait, come back. Let's sort this out. And Miscavige is such a chicken shit. He couldn't even deal with that. And he's the one who's causing all of it. It was so eye opening to me to see that level of cowardice from him because he's always putting himself out there as the forerunner, badass, strong, you know, uh, tone 40 guy in Scientology. This, you know? this is the second, I think, major person personally close to him to show us this side. Yes. And the other person was his niece, Jenna Miscavige Hill. If the, when, when I read Jenna's book, the number one thing I took from it was she's portraying her uncle as an absolute coward. Yeah. And now Lisa Marie Presley said the same thing uh, to Ron and then demonstrated in her description of that. But yeah. And you know, this was a, this was a break that was a long time coming. She told me she had been 
investigating Scientology for herself from 2007. Mm. And she had, you know, because I think like, you know, we've talked about it. It can take a long time for Scientologists to kind of accept what the problems are. And I think she really wanted to hear it from the right people and not from the press or whatever. Right. And, and this was another thing that I, I, I thought was amazing was she told me there were three people that she really trusted and that she, she would ask them, is this stuff about the whole true? Is this stuff about, and they were Ron Miscavige who she, you know, developed this very tight relationship with Roanne Horwich, mm-hmm. Diana Hubbard's daughter, the granddaughter to L. Ron Hubbard, who also escaped in 2012. And Arthur Hubbard. Yeah, that surprised the hell out of me. And, you know, somebody that rarely ever shows up in any story. Yep. I couldn't believe it when she told me that he had been her best friend since she was 16. Me too. And that those were the three sources. Those were the three people she trusted to tell her the truth about what was really going on in Scientology. And so she was gathering this info from 2007 to that conversation I had with her in 2015. And uh, the thing I thought about right away was, wait a minute, Rowan and Arthur, they're in the Hubbard family. And I've always been curious about this. I've written about it a little, not that much, but I've always been curious about the Hubbard family in their relationship to miscavige right and and she talked to me about that she said she has asked them why don't you guys get together and mutiny on this guy because they clearly don't like him i mean mary sue was clear that she didn't like uh miscavige yep um before she died and who's left you got arthur you got his older sister suzette also in los angeles you got um Roanne, who was Diana's daughter, um, and then Diana herself, who's the only one who's still in. And, you know, I don't know, you know, you have to, you can tell me better than, than I yeah. would know. I don't, if Roanne and Arthur and Suzette all made kind of a public stand and said, look, we don't like what this guy is doing to our father's legacy or whatever. I don't know what that would mean to the current Scientologist. What, you know, would it, I think it's kind of a scary proposition, but it'd be interesting. But Lisa Marie told me she was interested in that. She wanted to know what would happen if the family did that. And I, I think that's fascinating. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll certainly throw my conjecture in the ring on that, that I think it would matter a great deal to some Scientologists, and I think a lot of others, because it's been so many years that Hubbard and his family have been kind of removed from the equation of Scientology, except Hubbard by name only, really. But in terms of the persona and family, and you know, L. Ron Hubbard as a as a as a as a thing beyond an icon, is not so much there. Miscav- it's it's so much Miscavige's cult of personality now that. It would definitely have an effect, and Miscavige would lose his goddamn mind if they came out publicly. There's zero question about that. Um, I would be very interested to see how they spun Hubbard's kids, you know, as disaffected SPs. But I could see him doing it. I could see him doing it, and I could see him getting away with it. You know, you can you can look all day on the Scientology website, and you will see no mention Ooh. of any of the wives or any of the children. Nope, nope. Hubbard, oh, Miscavige needed to get rid of all of that all the way back in the '80s, and I mm. think, as far as I can tell, 
from personal observation, when I was in the Sea Org, I met her once, Diana Hubbard. Um, really nice woman, uh, at least in my encounter with her. Um, but not somebody who had any any serious power in Scientology. I was always surprised that she was only an int exec and not somehow higher. But it's not the kind of thing when you're in that world that you get to question. So even there, it was like, well, I guess, and you just kind of move on, you know. So it was, it's, it would be very, very, very powerful, I think, if the Hubbard kids actually did make a public statement. But I don't know. I'm sure they're thinking, yes, that would be powerful, but the consequences to our lives personally might be such that, is it really going to be worth this, you know, upending our entire existence for this? Right. I can see where they're coming from that maybe that might not be the thing they want to do. Yeah. But, I, you know, I think it's interesting that uh, Lisa Marie, at least, yes. told, me, told me that they were helping her see the light. That Absolutely. Arthur and Rowan, yes. along with Ron Miscavige, were helping her assess the real issues with Scientology, and she could trust them. So uh, based on what she told me, at least, these family members are disaffected and are not happy with David Miscavige. So that was, that was pretty interesting. And then um, that was in April 2015. Mm. And um, I had kept in touch with her, uh, I believe, through text messages. We text each other once in a while. And I knew she was really interested in me um, writing about this daycare, daycare scandal. A number of people wanted me to write about that because it had been a while and the parents were still angry about that. But there was this awful Scientology daycare where, and I wrote about this on July 10th, 2015. I think you can find it like daycare from hell or something like that. Mm -hmm. But the situation was a, a Scientologist woman was running this daycare and had all these families that were Scientologists that had their children coming to her house. And the allegation was she had a teenage son who was molesting these kids, molesting the girls. And so uh, these parents were ready to go to the police and the district attorney and the master at arms at AOLA talked them out of it. So that Gee, that wouldn't not... be a, a a man with the name with the initials JS, would it? <laughs> I don't know if I named him in the story or not. I can't remember. I fucking but uh, I I was able. To, it was a it was not an easy story to put together. Let oh, you, you you did because... name him. You named him in oh, the story. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Julian Schwartz. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it was not an easy story to do though because uh, there was some police action, and I could get the police to at least corroborate that there had been some talks about it. And I, I believe the boy was punished to a certain degree, but not the way the DA wanted to because the parents wouldn't cooperate. And But there was some paperwork, and that allowed me to write the story because, you know, you can't, you can't just make allegations and, you know, without some, some, something to them. So anyway, I got the story out, and that, that, that day that story came out, that night I had uh, – Kate Borstein and I had decided to get together. When Kate and I get together, we love to meet at the original Patsy's in East Harlem, which is, I, you know, Frank Sinatra loved that pizza wow. joint. You know, it's nice. just like it's old, it's old New York. It's great, great pizza. And so uh, it's pr pretty close to where she lives. And so I, I went uptown and we're sitting down to have, and we're just, you know, every time I get together with Kate, it's she's so fun. She's awesome. And uh, 
my phone rang. And I, I looked down at it and my eyes went like that. And Kate looked at me like, what? And I just held it up so she could see Lisa Marie Presley on my phone. And I ran out to the sidewalk to talk with her. And she was just like, really, you know, I'm so glad you got that story out. It's really important. And at that, I took that opportunity by, you know, by then it had been a while since we had talked before and I had been talking to Ron and I knew Ron was now serious about his book and was well into it. And I, and I was like, look, Ron's, Ron's going to write about what happened with Lisa Marie trying to see Miscavige. And I'm sitting on all this material and I kind of, you know, I'd like to get my own story out about it. And so I talked to her about that. And I said, look, I want to write about what you told me, but I won't say where it came from. And she said, no, that's fine. So, I mean, it was very clear to me, Lisa Marie wanted this information out. Yeah. But she had told me the reason why, because I'd asked her, why aren't you doing what Leah's doing? Why aren't you like, I mean, if you came out and talked the way Leah did, oh my goodness. And she said that the main reason why she wasn't being more public was mainly because she had six-year-old twins. And the, these two girls, I tend not to use their name. They're still underage. But um, she had these two twin girls, and their nannies were Scientologists. Right. And the, and the girls were totally attached to these nannies. And she knew that if she went public, one of the first things Miscavige would do is yank those nannies out of there. Mm-hmm. And I and I remember telling her, I said, you, you know that Scientologist nannies are reporting every day to Miscavige about what's going on in your house, right? Yeah. And she knew she knew it. She was like, Yeah, I know. But I she just she just decided it was better to keep the things they were, and that's fine. And so, but then you know, the the, the sad thing for me was that I I stopped hearing from her, and then Ron stopped hearing from her. I mean, we were we were talking about mm. this, like what's going on with her? And then those last few years just seemed to be so chaotic for her. You know, right. she went through this. When 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 we talked about what had happened in October 2014 at the showdown, Michael Lockwood was with her. He was sitting in the room with her as Denise and Lori were screaming at them. Oh, was he? But, he was there. Oh, I didn't realize yeah, he was there. He, okay. He was in the room with her. Ben was back at the Fort Harrison. Oh. Um, yeah. So, uh, but then she and Lockwood went into this years-long, horrible yeah. divorce and custody fight, all these allegations. And it was pretty obvious she was having substance abuse problems again. That was just a hellish yes. few years for her. And uh, so I just figured, okay, she's probably put the whole miscavige thing on hold because she gave me the impression that she was going to keep doing this. She was going to keep dropping bombs on this guy from a distance. But then it was, you know, I thought, well, she's probably not doing that because she's got so much trouble in her life. And then Ben, Ben Keo took his life. Right. I mean, just one tragedy after another. And so I just, you know, I always wished I could talk to her again. Um. Uh, and then the most amazing thing was this trial in October, Chris, mm-hmm. when, you know, I, I broke the news that she was going to be on the witness list. Yeah. I had heard this for a long time, that they were going to call her. And, of course, all my readers would ask me to testify about what? And I, and I would just say, I don't know. I just, all I know is that they're going to call Lisa Marie Presley to testify in the Danny Masterson rape trial. And I really didn't know why, um, but I was right. Her name showed up on the witness list, on the prosecution's witness list. 
And then I don't remember the date. Was it early in November? Um, what happened was mm-hmm. the, def- the defense attorney, uh, Philip Cohen, was having one of his epic meltdowns. He had he was angry almost every day, but he had a couple of volcanic erupt you know just eruptions. And this time he was super angry that they were being blindsided by something. And all of us reporters were like, "What's he talking?" About? This was a Tuesday. And the judge then looked at the DA and basically said, "Can you explain yourself?" And it was about Lisa Marie Preston. Right. And the DA started explaining, "Look, okay, here's the situation. You know, we've put her on the witness list. We want her to come in and testify." But at the last minute, her attorney came and said, if you put her on the witness stand, I'm going to tell her to take the fifth. Chris, it was like a bomb went off in the back of the room. All the reporters were like, what? Yeah. Lisa Marie Presley's going to take the fifth. Right. <laughs> what the hell? Because right. what that means for those people who are not familiar with American courts, under the Fifth Amendment to our Constitution, you have an absolute right not to speak in court uh, if it will incriminate you. Correct. You know, if you're if you're a defense witness, a defense uh, you know suspect or whatever, but you have an absolute right to to stay quiet. And if you don't want to answer a question, you just say, "I'm taking the fifth. It's called taking the fifth. That's right. And, uh, and so, the, and the that, legal basis being, it would incriminate you. You'd literally be 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 confessing on yourself, and you, you don't, cannot be compelled to do that in a courtroom. In American courts, yeah. you do not have to discuss things about your guilt or whatever. Right. And juries are told, you know, like with Danny, Danny had the absolute right not to testify. And the judge told the jury, you cannot hold that against him. He has the absolute American right not to take the witness stand. Okay. So then the question is, what would she be testifying to that would put her in jeopardy that she would need to take the fifth? So then the the DA had to explain that what she was going to testify to is that she was close friends with Jane Doe 1. Jane Doe 1 is the person who said that she was attacked in April 2003. She immediately went to the church. They, you know, and they put her through all this crazy past life counseling to find out why she was a victim and all this stuff. But she told them, look, I want to take this guy to the LAPD. I want to turn this guy in. And, you know, you're not supposed to do that in Scientology. And she was told in no uncertain terms, you can't do that. But she finally was like, look, I'm going to go to the LAPD. What Lisa Marie Presley was going to testify to, according to the DA, was that at that point, Scientology instructed Lisa Marie to talk her friend, Jane Doe One, out of going to the LAPD. Mm-hmm. Scientology wanted one of its celebrities to keep a rape victim from turning in the rapist. Mm-hmm. That's right. called obstruction of justice. Now, I know there's not an obstruction of justice statute in California, but I know the feds have been looking at this, and this is really interesting stuff. So what what the DA said was that Lisa Marie's attorney had said, look, I can't have her testify to that. And, and so you kind of have to put two and two together. What he was saying was, sure, you can have Lisa Marie up there describing a crime committed by the Church of Scientology, but she took part in it. So she would be incriminating herself if she testified about it. So that what the DA said was, look, it's been too many years. That was like 2003 or four. This is 2022. 
She's not, you can't prosecute her for that. But just to make her feel more comfortable, the DA said, I granted her immunity. Mm -hmm. And at that point, she came down to the office. That was that previous Friday. They interviewed her and she signed a statement. They immediately gave it to Cohen at the defense. But see, Cohen, two days later on a Tuesday, was complaining to the judge that this was all too last minute. It was all, it was, you know, he was he was basically saying that the, there was something that something stunk about this whole thing. So the judge just wanted the DA to explain, and the DA was stuck. He had to explain it to her in open court in front of all of us. So that's how we got the story that Lisa Marie Presley, finally we found out what she was going to testify to, that the church had tried to keep, had to, the church had asked her to keep a rape victim from turning into rapist. Unbelievable. Unbe- I mean, let me, and let me ask too you this. Unbelievable, Chris. actually, but yeah. Let me yeah. ask you this. So that my conclusion was mm-hmm. that I think if Lisa Marie Presley is thinking about coming in and saying that about the church of Scientology, it's probably a pretty good indication that even with all the things she had been through, the terrible years she'd been through, that she was probably still out. What do you think? Absolutely. No question about it, because there's no way you could ever contemplate doing something like that as a Scientologist. It's literally a high crime. Yeah. I mean, literally. It's not even like I make it, I have to like you know exaggerate the importance of that. It's a suppressive act to do what she was contemplating doing. There's right. no chance she was still a Scientologist and doing that. And I, I respect her that she was preparing at least to come in and do that. It takes a lot of guts, and it shows that even though it had been seven years since I spoke to her, it was she was still in that mindset that she wanted to expose Scientology's abuses. Exactly. In fact, even going down and making a statement and signing it, I mean, for the DA— gutsy ballsy move right there and that statement still exists i don't know if we're ever going to get to see it but so what happened then really i mean that you see you have to understand we're we're all all the reporters in the back row are hyperventilating we can't believe what we're hearing and then the next minute judge omedo takes it all away i know i was so pissed about that (laughs) judge omedo said that lisa marie coming in and testifying to scientology's wrongdoing does is not directly relevant to Danny Masterson's guilt or innocence. And that's all this trial is about. That's right. So there is a civil lawsuit. And she said there's a civil lawsuit about Scientology's actions. And this seems more appropriate for that, but it's not relevant for this trial. And she said she won't allow that. Well, once she had done that, that was like most of the reason they wanted to call Lisa Marie. Now right. they, they still could have they still could have called her as a fresh complaint witness just to say that she knew Jane Doe one and she'd heard heard about the rape and all that, but they decided not to to do that. And so she wasn't called at all. Then we had a mistrial. So that was November 30th. And then on January 10th, the DA came in and said, Yep, we're gonna do this all over again. Yep. So, you know, and what I can tell you, I was in the courtroom that day on January 10th, and one of the things both the DA and Judge Olmedo talked about was that, look, the DA side put 32 names on their witness list and only called like 12. Exactly. Right? Yep. And the reason Judge Olmedo brought this up was that Cohen was trying to say, look, if you do this all over again, you're going to have the same result. Yep. And the judge was like, yeah, but they could call different witnesses. 
right? Mm-hmm. Which I found was interesting because I know some people are a little critical of her. They felt that she rushed the prosecution. I, the I'm trial. one of those people. Right. And that she, the reason why the DA only called the witnesses they did may have been the pressure, the time pressure from the judge. Yep. So that's one reason why I think maybe the second trial will actually go longer. Yep. Is that the, the DA will call not just some slightly different witnesses, but maybe more. And uh, and so, you know, coming out of that courtroom, one of the first things on my mind was, hey, maybe this time you will call Lee Smurray, mm, right? Mm. And maybe the, maybe this time you can argue a, a way. See, I had a feeling that if he could get her on the stand, because if you remember what, ha- what happened with like Trisha Vesey, mm-hmm, for example, mm-hmm. there were all these restrictions on what she could say, and they ended up getting blown away. And she got to say basically everything. And I had a feeling that if Mueller could get Lisa Marie in the witness stand, he might be able to lead her into those areas in a way that the judge would allow. Yep. Get her up, get her up there. Let's see what happens. Right. Exactly. So I mean, I came out of that room thinking, wow, I'd like to see Lisa Marie called. I'd like to see Marty Singer called. I'd like to see this, this spy guy called, uh, this could be really interesting. And so then, uh, two days later, I'm on a plane flying home thinking about all this. And I had Wi-Fi on the phone and I couldn't believe the news. Lisa Marie Presley went to the hospital yeah, it was so sad. Just so awful. sudden. 54 years old. I mean, she's like a year and a half older than me. Well, uh, one thing I want people to see, all, immediately people started saying, well, you know, on the 10th, they revived the lawsuit. Maybe she's, I mean, the criminal trial, maybe she's going to be called. Two days later, she dies. The Scientology has something to do with it? You know. Oh, no, uh, I'm not even going and I, there. I understand why yeah. people are wondering that, but but I but I looked into the, her past a little bit and I what I what I didn't know before was that Elvis's mother died of a heart attack at 46. Mm-hmm. And Elvis, Elvis cardiac Elvis arrest. Elvis had cardiac arrest at 42. Right. Exactly. And Lisa obviously had such a drug history. Of course, now it's now when I wrote my story. Since then, you, you've seen the stuff that's come out recently, just horrendous details about her drug use and stuff. Yep, and yep. so, I mean, that that affects the heart. Uh, you know, these drugs are so powerful. Uh, I've had personal friends of mine uh, who died because of those using those opioids and just not, you know, being careful. Uh, so, right. Well, at the Golden does, Globes was the last public place she was seen. And... It was very obvious to anybody who's looking that she was haggard, not in good shape, leaning, you know, on um, her partner there for support, et cetera. I mean, she was clearly in a bad way. And and we already know that, um, and I've heard this from people who were connected with her, that, you know, that very much um, her son's suicide was, you know, was... Oh, was yeah. A, a make break point for her as a person. And, uh, and she never really came back from that. Yeah. The, the death of Ben was obviously a, a huge blow for her. I yeah. mean, he took his own life in her house. Yeah. I mean, just horrendous. Yeah. And who um, knows, you know, and, and doing that, I mean, this is conjectural, but you know, while she's, having her own issues and problems and clearly i mean this is no this is no psych eval to say it seemed pretty clear she was carrying around an awful lot of guilt about that you know and yeah. that's that's sad that's just sad all well, around the, it's tragic the, heredi- you know? the heredity the drugs the yeah. personal tragedy there's plenty to understand why 
she was, you know, in a bad state. You don't need any conspiracy theories about, mm-hmm. you know, people who wanted her dead or something crazy like that. Especially so, since she wasn't even a star witness and she was even right. stricken from the record. Why? Why would you do that? You know, it doesn't make any sense. No, I, you know, the, her testimony, I don't think would have been really big for the Danny Masterson guilt or innocence. I think the judge is right about that. Yeah. And it and it doesn't fit the time period for the loss, the civil lawsuit, which is about harassment since 2017. But still, yep. the idea of Lisa Marie Presley testifying about Scientology's obstruction of justice would have been huge. It would have been huge. And it would have been a feature element of the civil trial. And I and yep. I'm really upset that that isn't going to be to happen. At least her statement's still there. Hopefully that can be entered into the record as something better than nothing, really so that her effort isn't wasted. That's what I want to see is, is her attempt, you know? Well, that's, and that's part of, that's part of a a large part of why I did this story is that this, she was badass. I love talking to her. She, you know, you saw the language she used. I was going to ask you after we got done with the specifics of this, what was she like to talk to? What was she? Cause only you can tell me that, you know, like what was she like? Yeah. No, it was so fun because, you know, you Scientologists curse like sailors. Yeah. And it, <laughs> it's the way it's the way you're trained. And it was just like so fun. I mean, you know, when she when she stopped conversation and just said, I love Michael. I want you to know that. Mm-hmm. She knew that that was something that I might be skeptical of or something. And she really wanted me to understand that. And that's the kind of thing where I felt like. I was so fortunate to be having this conversation because I think if it was another just sort of reporter from a magazine asking a question, she would have had a different sort of, you know, in Scientology, you would say valence, right? Right. She would have a different, she would have a different valence, but she's talking to the guy at the underground bunker, the site that, you know, she reads every day and that we felt like we were old friends. And so she wanted me to understand these things. And so she told me in a way that was really it was just a wonderful, heartfelt conversation, and she was funny. She was badass, and she was a fighter. And that's what I wanted people to know. I really came out of that admiring the hell out of her. And also, she was so savvy. Let me just try to give you an, an, an explanation of so. So Ron Miscavige had learned that these private investigators were tailing him mm-hmm. because they'd been arrested by the West Allis Police Department. He then um, went down and tried to have his thing with, you know, to see his daughters and, and got, you know, prevented. And then he's angry. Now he's going to write a book. Now he's going to do it. And he knows that that police record is going to be a big part of his book. In fact, his original title, it became ruthless. His original title was If He Dies, He Dies. That was going to be the title of his book. That's how important that element of those police, those uh, private investigators was going to be in the book. And he told me, she came to him and said, look, here's the problem. We can't have that information come out first in your book. And he said, why? He said, because it's a, it's a book by you. It's, it's a memoir. It's, uh, you know, a, uh, a subjective thing. It's like your argument. We need this to come out in an objective place that has no, you know, nothing, you know, no, no skin in the game. Then not only did so she hires this attorney and the attorney works with Mike. Mike Rinder has now revealed in his book that he was part of this operation too. Yeah. And it was Mike's suggestion to come out in the LA Times. And that's so smart. 
<clears throat> and you know, I, I give Lisa Marie credit for approving that plan because I have, you know, you've seen me complain about this at my website that the LA Times in the 1990s was unequal. They were the publication for exposing Scientology's abuses. No mm-hmm. question. Joel Sapel, uh, uh, is it Robert Wilkos? I always get his name wrong. <laughs> Joel Sapel, my hero, wrote these stories at the LA Times. Yeah. And, um, you know, but then a- after that, in the 2000s, for some reason, the LA Times just seemed to have gotten a lot less curious about Scientology. And I wasn't sure what it was. And so to come out in the LA Times at that time was so smart because the LA Times wasn't campaigning. They weren't, you know, they were they had kind of gotten away from the Scientology story. And now they've got this just bombshell. And she also had it go to a couple of other like electronic media organizations that were also not known for exposing Scientology. Very savvy woman. She knew what she was doing. She knew that if it came out in those outlets, it would have more power. Yes. That, that if it came out in some outlets that were a little more known for poking the bear. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. So yes. I, I just I just thought, Miss Scavage, your goose is cooked. This woman is so smart, so savvy. And that's what I that's what I took away from that conversation. I just enjoyed it so much. I had so much admiration for her by the time we were done talking. And I was just disappointed that after that, things seemed to go so wrong for her in so many ways. Yeah, it was it, it, there really are uh it's just the, it's just the the perfect word is tragedy. I just I I can't I keep coming back to that with her, because having reviewed her entire life and you know the the the, the her father dying when she was only six and nine th- nine oh sorry nine and then being turned over basically to Scientology shortly thereafter and getting dropped right. off at Celebrity Center and you know and having to and, and being a Scientology kid knowing exactly what that experience is like. And that, but not having a clue what it's like to be the daughter of Elvis. I mean, Jesus fucking Christ, right? Right, Talk about pressure. And she doesn't come into the money until she's 25. So how many sycophants, how many yes men, how many people in her life just there to take advantage of her as a child? You know, I I can't even begin to relate to that. You can can see why she and Michael probably had several areas of connection yes he had been through the same thing and they they connected on that level that you know it's we both had these totally crazy bizarre lives but we can relate to each other on that level that's right and it was even a little bit sad for me in retrospect to see how judgmental everybody was about that to the point there were news stories and tabloid media out interviewing man on the street what do you think about lisa and michael jackson oh what a joke and you and you actually see the human being there and you go my god how how awful are we that we do that to people because they have money or power in a position that they never even asked for lisa marie was born into this she didn't ask for any of it you know, so it's it's a little bit sad that that was kind of there for her in her upbringing and that Scientology of all places would be the place that she would retreat to as a safe space. Holy shit. You know, what a tragedy. Yeah. And I mean, she made it clear to me that she really felt that it was David Miscavige and Scientology that, you know, pressured her to divorce Michael. And, you know, yeah. they kept telling her. 
I talked to my attorney about this. I said, is this true that if you file before the other person, you get an advantage in court? And he said, it's an axiom. It doesn't mean it's true, right? It's like everybody believes that. If you're the first to file, you have an advantage, but it's not... It's just something everybody sort of accepts without any evidence. Right. And and so she she said she was she felt this pressure from David Miscavige and John P. Cole, this attorney, this Scientologist attorney. And what she told me was at one point, Cole called her up and said, Michael's gonna make a move. You gotta be there first. You gotta file. And so she said, Okay, let's file. And she immediately regretted it. Now, to his credit, John Cole got on the phone with me last week. And we talked about this, and he had a different version of events. And I, the, the the version he told me is in my story. I think it's really mm-hmm. a great story he tells mm-hmm. about having lunch with Johnny Cochran. Yep. And they were they were both. He said, "Look, there was no kind." He said, "Look, they don't they don't have any kids. They they both have a lot of money. They don't have any joint property. There's nothing to fight over." So that's the version he told. Um, but again, I I know what I heard. Lisa Marie Presley told me that she was pressured by John Cole to file first and she did and immediately regretted it and to and and 19 years later she really believed that scientology had pushed her into that divorce and uh, i i don't know i don't know if anybody else has ever reported that before no i never saw that before and one thing i i'll add to that is it seems it seems completely sensible to me or 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 probable i should say to me that with the statements that cole gave to you what he didn't say and avoided completely was miscavige pressured me into saying that to her to push her to file for the damn divorce it's well, just a leverage I, point I, you know i i asked him specifically about miscavige oh did he, you he, okay yeah and he had said that he never talked to miscavige about that matter Oh, uh, did he say that? Really? He I wonder say, he about say the veracity that. of that statement. Yeah. I have well, to wonder. Look, I'm just really glad that uh, I've written about John Cole before. I know he's got a, he's uh, been prickly with some reporters about Scientology. I really appreciate that he got on the phone with me. We had a very nice yes. conversation. Yes. Uh, and I just put exactly what he told me in the story. Uh, I'll let readers decide whose version they believe. Um, I just thought it was remarkable. The first thing he said to me was, I never told her to love or unlove Michael. Interesting. What an odd way to say it. Right? You know? A was, very uh, odd way to put it. I read that a couple of times. I was like, what an interesting way to put that. I, and, and, and of course, it's purely conjectural on my part that Miscavige is, you know, that he's acting as a proxy for Miscavige to to issue those orders. But it would, it, but it's exactly the kind of thing Miscavige. No, but does. she said that she said that the Miscavige was in on it. The Miscavige yeah. was definitely part of the pressure to tell her that she's got to file first. No, she she was explicit about that. That it was it was a combination of Miscavige and Cole. And just for those of your viewers who aren't familiar with this. John P. Cole is a very well-known attorney who, who made his name suing the tobacco companies in the 1980s. He's married to Greta Van Susteren. Um, he got her into Scientology after they were married in 1988. And Lisa Marie told me, she said, you know, she thought it was strange that there was this Scientologist who was a TV journalist. Because, you know, if you know what L. Ron Hubbard says about Merchants of Chaos, it yep. didn't make much sense. And Lisa told me that David Miscavige told her Greta helps us with Fox News. Of course she does. Of course she does. And then in 2015, when I was having that conversation with Lisa, Greta was still with Fox News. She left in 2016. 
she went to CNN for a while, right? Now I don't know who she's with. Yeah, I don't know what she's doing now. But as far as we know, Cole and her are still Scientologists. Oh, absolutely. No Which, question. And and that alone boggles me that he returned your call. I'm actually I'm actually fascinated by that. Again, I want to thank him. Yeah. It's always so much better yeah. when people call and give you their version. And I put it in the story, happy to. I'm really, I really appreciate that he called. It was a very nice conversation. Um, but yeah, they're, they are um, OT Scientologists, both of them. And um, um, he's done some really interesting things over the years politically and, and even with Scientology politically. Fascinating guy. Yeah, very, very, very. So, okay. So then I guess the lingering question for people, and, and I'll just ask you what you can speak to on this, is Priscilla. In, out. It, right. You know, it seemed so, like they had a very rocky relationship, Priscilla and Lisa. What what can you speak to on that? Right. Well, I mean, she did talk about her childhood that, you know, Priscilla was dropping her off at the Flagland base and the, you know, Celebrity Center and all that, which didn't sound great. Right. But yeah. um, when I asked them about I was I was, of course, curious about the tech, you know, where are you guys on the bridge? Right. And, and he said that uh, she said that um, Priscilla had not gone clear that she was, you know, in other words, a little bit of a dabbler, right? She's stuck in the grades, right? And uh, and I and I went and checked, and she was right. Uh, you can check the her highest completion is like grade three or grade four or something. So Lisa wow. wanted to, to give me the impression that Priscilla enjoyed the courses. She enjoyed being a Scientologist, but she wasn't too serious about it. Right. Lisa, on the other hand, had got all the way to OT7. And this is you know, my story was long enough. I didn't want to go into it too much, but I, you know, I, I could have told people about what that means is that she'd gone clear. She did OT3. She knows the, OT, the she knows the Xenu story. And she was all the way up to OT7, which so many Scientologists have told me is the hardest single experience in Scientology is trying to finish OT7. And it could take years and years. years. And Daily, she told by me, the way, every single day, you do not have a single, not even one day off. Oh God! Not one. And for well, a celebrity, for a touring celebrity like Lisa Marie, that is a Herculean task. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she told me she gave up after three months. Yeah. And and she was done at that point. Um. But then I, you know, so and she didn't tell. I don't remember her talking about Riley's completions, and I haven't looked them up. Mm. But what she said to me a couple different times, I made sure later in the conversation came back to it. I just want to make sure I understand this. When you had that, when Lisa had that attempted confrontation with Miscavige in October 2014, went back to the Fort Harrison and told Michael Lockwood and Ben Keough, I'm it. That's it. We're done. I'm not in Scientology anymore. What did she do about Priscilla and Riley? And she told me that she went to both of them and said, you've got to come out with me. And she told her mom, you've got to have my fucking back. I love the way she talked. Yep. But she said, you, you know, you've got to have my back on this. You've got to come out with me. And I double-checked with her, and she said, they walked when I did. Right. What I didn't know until last week when I spoke to him was that Mike Rinder also talked to Lisa about this right after it happened. And see, this that was October 2014 when it happened. And I spoke to her six months later in April 2015. But Mike had spoken to her right after, just in the day, couple of days after she had tried to have this showdown with Miscavige. Mm. And what and what Mike told me was on the phone, they had gone up to Nashville. There was a house they were renting in the Nashville area. And uh, he was talking to Lisa on the phone about this you know, crazy stuff with Denise and Lori and all the screaming and yelling. And he said she put Riley on the phone. 
And Mike said he had never spoken to Riley Keough in his life. This was the these these were the first words he was going to hear from Riley Keough, and they were, "You need to take down these motherfuckers." <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's what Mike Rinder told me last week. I had not heard this before, and I was like, "Wow!" So, based on what Lisa told me, and based on what Mike Rinder told me, I believe that in. October 2014, all three of them were out. Lisa, her mother Priscilla, her daughter Riley. What about since then? Now, I have written at the bunker uh, a couple years ago that we noticed Riley was starting to show up on Instagram photos with her Scientologist friends. Mm. And Priscilla had put out some sort of conflicting statements through her representative and it just looked like, and then of course, at this point now, I wasn't hearing from Lisa anymore. She was going through this horrible period. It just looked like Priscilla and Riley might be coming back in. Okay. okay. And of course, I couldn't check with Lisa at that time to find out. So um, I don't know their status. I, I, I hate to guess. I don't know. I All I know for sure is that Lisa told me Priscilla and Riley were both out in October 2014. Where they were the ensuing years, late teens, early 20s, I don't know. I saw evidence suggesting that maybe both Priscilla and Lisa had, I mean, uh, Riley had gone back in. As for Lisa herself, of course, we were all sort of wondering if maybe she'd gone back. But then there was this thing in court where she was yeah. prepared to testify against her Scientology. So then the question now is, now there's this big fight brewing between Priscilla and Riley over the trust. And so the question is, is one of them sort of taking orders from Scientology? Is, right. like, is, this, is there a Scientology angle to this fight? And I don't know. I'm going to be watching, like everybody else, the, the court documents that come out and see what we can possibly glean from them. But at this point, it's a fascinating battle between Priscilla and Riley, and I don't know if they're both in, one is in and one is out, but it's something obviously we're all going to be interested in. Yeah, for sure. This is reminiscent, by the way, to me a little bit of the last time we got together because... We're very focused on Scientology. Yeah, we are. And the Presley family might give a shit about it at this point. And the whole contestation of the of the will or the of the trust, all of it might have I just want to put this out there for the audience. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. But I'm just saying it might well be Scientology is nowhere in this picture right now. It's all conjectural right now. We have to wait and see for things to roll out. And I'm only throwing that out there, folks, because you know me, I got to be, I got to throw the other side out there for you to think about because we tend to get a little tunnel vision on this stuff sometimes, you know? Right. And right. there's a lot of other influencers and layers of stuff going on. With the Presley family, so. there's so yeah. Think about the ownership of Graceland. Yes. Think about the the ownership of the Elvis Presley catalog. I mean, I don't even know what the ownership issues are with that, and, and yep. there's just so much at stake. I think an attorney would tell you it's not that unusual for family members to kind of turn against each other in a big, big fight like this. 
But then you throw in the Scientology angle, and it's a wild card. And is is Priscilla taking orders from Miscavige? Is Riley taking orders from Miscavige? Are they right. both out? Are they both in? I don't know. And exactly. you know, I think we can't. You know, you can speculate, but it's maybe better just to wait and see what we can learn from the documents, from the things they say. Um, you know, I'd love for them to, of course. Uh, call me up, but uh, I don't think it's going to happen this time like it did last time. <laughs> right. Well, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. There's lots of possibilities here. Um, you know, the the hopefully that they hopefully they are staying away from it, staying out of it. If Priscilla was really never that serious, and I you know I don't know about Riley, and that's the that's the wild card, the, the friends and family line. There's so many ways to wrangle people back into Scientology. Trust me, I know. I used to do it it's 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 possible to bring people back in well and also uh you're referring to priscilla's um you know being online yeah. and i just i just want to point out that isn't it possible for people to be very loyal obedient scientologists even though they're not doing that much of the bridge i think aren't they two true. kind of separate things it, it is true it is true. It might be a level of commitment that goes above and beyond, even if her level hasn't gone above and beyond. That's entirely possible. She was okay. clearly loyal to it for decades. So, right, right. you know, so dragging her back into it. I, 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 this is the point where I have to I have to say I, I, I don't know because I don't know about her personally and what her what needs that, you know, Scientology is fulfilling for her. Right. So anyone's guess, but let's just keep an open mind. You know, yeah. I like to hope for the best. See what see what happens here. Well, you and I, you and I like to uh, talk about this stuff, but we're careful. You know, yeah. we we want to we don't want to go off with stuff we haven't checked out. And that's right. And you know, that's that's uh, it's it's better to you know maybe wait a little bit and try to get things right. So, exactly. I, but I'm interested. I think I think some interesting stuff's going to come out of that litigation and. It'll be interesting to see if they, because I, you know, Lockwood was throwing some elbows at Lisa about her Scientology involvement. And well, that I was, thought I, was, I was going to ask you, was he a Scientologist? No, I don't think he was. I think it was okay. very, it was one of those things where it was a spouse that maybe did it a little bit, but not, not wasn't serious about it. But he, okay. he accused her of Scientology-like fair game in their uh, divorce, which um, seemed like kind of a low blow to me because he wasn't literally saying she's a Scientologist and using it against me. He was saying she's using tactics like Scientology. I thought, eh, you know, I, I don't know. I wasn't sure about that one, but yeah, I don't know Lock. I don't know Lockwood that well. I don't, you know, I don't know what makes him tick, but we'll see how this battle uh, forms up. Yeah, it's definitely going to play out, and I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure TMZ will be there blow by blow. Uh, so we'll we'll watch this roll out, Tony. I since we're just focusing on this, there's there's about a billion other things we can get into, but I think I'm going to wrap up for today. Yeah, cool. Um, this is really fun. Thank you very much for coming and sure. and giving me your first hand on this because because very few people. You know, we're actually talking directly to her and can speak to this stuff. So I always love to go straight to the source if I can. And so thank you for for taking the time. Oh, you bet, man. It's uh, it's it was a very I was very fortunate. I'm so glad I was there for that. And I just want people to understand she was cool, man. She was badass. Yes. And uh, I'm, I'm glad I got to, to give people a glimpse of that. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, 
Thanks very much, folks, for coming around and watching us uh, gabber on here like this. I hope you found it educational, entertaining, informative, as usual, for all my stuff. And if you did, subscribe, like the channel, share it around, you know, let people know about it. And I will see you guys next week. Bye-bye.